0: Hello and welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5.
1: I'm Paige. I'm Anna. We're so excited to share some headlines with you this week, but before we dive in, we have an update, but also we want to warn everyone that we are recording this a little bit earlier than usual, so if the news is not as up to date... That's why. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so Paige and I both have a lot of things going on this week, which is why we decided to record early instead of not have an episode. I am going to Washington, D.C. to visit my sister, um, who is there for college, so I'm very excited for that.
1: And my parents are coming to visit the city for a few days, and then we're going upstate, so
0: On and I will be apart for a little. For the longest time since, like, January, so that's wild. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but I guess we can just dive into our update for the week.
1: Yeah, so our update, as reported by Art News, is that, quote, Amid Jeffrey Epstein fallout, Leon Black will step down as MoMA board chair. So you might remember that last week, one of our headlines was about a 10-week strike planned at MoMA and a major factor for this strike occurring was that the museum had made no announcement or had made any action in regards to their trustees who had alleged ties to unethical businesses leon black being perhaps like the most publicized
0: yes and black's current term is set to expire on july 1st of this year and it was announced that he will not be seeking re-election to the board on which he has served since 1997
1: So he's really become a museum staple. Yes. (laughs) And according to multiple sources, MoMA board members have been seeking Black's removal over the past several weeks, but there were reportedly fears among some trustees that the museum would lose out on important financial gifts and artwork
0: loans if he departed. It has really been impacting the museum a lot. For example, artist Ai Weiwei went so far as to say he would not show his work at MoMA if Black continued to remain board chair which is wild.
1: It's so crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. So it will be interesting to see how this impacts the strike that's planned. And then Mm -hmm. also just the future of the museum and the museum's board. Yeah.
0: And it's crazy because we did talk about last week how we were waiting to see if the strike achieved anything. And like, I don't think this was because of the strike at all. But I guess it was one of the biggest things the strike sought to like correct.
1: I think there were pressures coming from so many sources and it does align very well that his term is ending and Mm -hmm. he can step down and then moma doesn't have to actively it's a little too
0: convenient
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i think we're ready to dive in our first headline of the week comes to us from art news where it was announced that quote Musée d'Orsay to change name in honor of former French president. So the Musée d'Orsay, one of Paris's most popular museums, will rename itself after Valérie Giscard d'Estaing, who served as France's president from 1974 to 1981 and was integral in the
0: institution's creation. Yeah, so now the museum will be called Musée d'Orsay, Valérie Giscard d'Estaing.
1: And during the 1960s, a train station and a hotel was known as the Gare d'Orsay and they was threatened with demolition. But the president was the one who approved plans to turn the site into the museum and is thus credited with making the existence of the museum possible, even though he wasn't president when it actually opened. He was mm-hmm. the one who just like really pushed for this transition for the space. Yes.
0: And alongside the shift at site, the Musée de la Rangerie will also be changing its official name to honor the past president and to bear his name.
1: The reason why all of this came about is is in December the president actually died at the age of 94 Mm -hmm. as a result of causes that were related to COVID-19 and then after his death multiple French politicians began campaigning for the museum to change its name to reflect his integral role in history and like to honor him.
0: It is truly such an impressive museum because Like the fact that it was a train station is still very like breath in when you walk in, like all the clocks and stuff. The
1: clock is like so iconic. I feel like I'm sure everyone has seen on Instagram photos of people visiting and posing in front of the clock. And like the
0: roof that's like vaulted too is like very like train station-y and Mm -hmm. um, just like everything. And I think it's so important that the museum or that the president is being honored because truly the museum wouldn't exist. And it is one of the most important impressionist art museums in the world.
1: And what's so amazing is like, we are still talking about The space and the space would have also been Been demolished. demolished. Yes, exactly. So worthy. Yes. Headline number two is some more French museum news, and comes to us courtesy of ArtNet, where it was reported that quote, longing for the Louvre, the museum just put over seventy five percent of its collection online in a new database. So the museum has remained closed since October in an effort to prevent the spread of COVID. But fear not, because much of the museum's impressive collection will now be available to people across the globe thanks to a new online database.
0: Yeah, so late last week, the Louvre announced a new website and it was launched. And the website has digitized high resolution versions of more than 482,000 artworks including many that are in storage and that's about 75 percent of the entire collection which is just so impressive but also it's so exciting that now you can see all those artworks that were previously in storage I mean they still are but like you can see them now
1: right it's even more exciting because even if the museum was currently open yeah you, couldn't you can see still them. see works that you couldn't have seen in person exactly And in addition to the high resolution images that are available, each work is going to be accompanied with lots of information, including materials, technique, date, place of production, object history, and there's also going to be like an interactive map.
0: And this is particularly exciting, particularly exciting because in 2020, the museum website received a record of 21 million visitors due to the COVID pandemic. But before that, This was a 50% increase from the previous high mark of 14 million in 2019, but that was credited to a very popular Da Vinci exhibition. And before that, the site averaged roughly 11 million visits. So clearly a lot of people went to the museum's website because of COVID. And I feel like the numbers will increase even more now that they have this new database, and especially because museums do remain closed in most of Europe so I guess people like really want to see art and like now they can do it through this website
1: right it gives all these people like a better avenue yes. to virtually view the works
0: exactly and the online
1: database has actually been in the works since 2019 which feels like so long but makes sense and so much information would have to be uploaded onto the system yes exactly and it's
0: kind of lucky that they were already working on it because otherwise like they it had have such come out an now. advantage exactly there are also 1700 looted objects that were recovered from germany since the end of world war Two in 1945 and while they are up in the website Um, the louvre is going to keep them until they can restitute them back to the rightful owners in France or the families of those like rightful owners.
1: Right. And something that I didn't know but the article pointed out was that the museum is currently undergoing this process of analyzing almost 14,000 objects that were acquired between 1933 and 1945, Mm -hmm. which is expected to take about five years because it's so complicated to trace the provenance of yes. some of these objects but they're all they're doing this in an attempt to properly restitute the works and right. really make sure everything in their collection is where Has it should been, be
0: yeah I agree it's very um impressive and I think it also just ties back to like restitution efforts to other countries like what we talked about last week with the Benin bronzes mm-hmm. even though those were not looted like from people in Europe just like returning them to their rightful countries
1: and another like great angle to look at this from is that if you do go to the museum and see something that you really like but maybe you can't get close enough of of the crowds or security or for whatever reason Mm -hmm. you can now go back and see it online and really learn
0: more and study it the website is really really great so we definitely recommend everyone go see it you can find some amazing paintings that you have not seen before just because they we're in storage but also because the Louvre is massive so even if you were to spend like a week going every day you would not be able to see it all No that's such a great point it's
1: actually impossible to see yeah. it all and it can be so overwhelming once you're there Very to even find
0: what you're trying to find Yes it's like a backup plan I just had like a flashback um to one summer I was there and my dad was in such a terrible mood because <laughs> it was so crowded and there was no AC and it smelled so bad and Yeah, you don't have to have any of that if you're just going to database. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful, but
1: (laughs) no need to stress anymore. Mm -hmm. Headline number three is very exciting because we both love hearing about art crime. I think we talk about it a lot. Yes, But as reported by Art News, quote, Attempted $14.7 million sale of fake works by Goya, Modigliani, and El Greco comes to light in Spain. So according to a report from a Spanish newspaper, a collector from the Spanish province of Toledo has planned to sell the fake paintings in Switzerland, Mexico, and Germany.
0: Yeah, so the fake Modigliani priced at 8.5 million euros, so about $10 million. The El Greco was prized at 2.5 million. Uh, million euro which is about three million dollars and the Goya was prized at 1.5 million euro which is about 1.8 million dollars
1: and the works were reportedly accompanied by falsified documentation attesting to their authenticity and dealers who have been assisting the collector intended to take a 10% cut from the sales and this reminded me so much of the nodler documentary it's
0: it's same vibe (laughs) but the case was shared with a court and experts from the toledo sephardic museum and the prada museum in madrid have issued that technical reports that show that these are fake works
1: it's so crazy how there can be so much speculation and documents can be forged so easily. And then as soon as the expert comes in and like with scientific reasoning, yeah. it's just like there's no way this is real. It's like case closed. Yes. But unfortunately, this is not uncommon and in July, a man in California was sentenced to five years in prison for the attempted sale of fake paintings, he said, were created by Andy Warhol, Herring, and Basquiat, among other major figures. So it was almost like a very American
0: yeah, version of the it same was a scandal. Ver- exactly. No, I just think this is so crazy that it happens this often, but I think it's because people are just like looking to make some quick money because I don't believe that all of those experts didn't realize these p- paintings were fake, so... It- really does remind I think it reminded us both of the Knottler documentary so much but also just in general it just puts into perspective how art does not have to be made by like a master for people to really love it mm-hmm. um and it just like really reminded me of the Rothko like people saying it was like one of the best Rothkos they'd ever <laughs> right, seen like the and most then beautiful it's like Rothko. fake yes exactly So, I guess fake art can also be really beautiful. And it just shows there are still great artists out there who can, even though they're not as creative because they're not producing work of their own, they still produce beautiful work.
1: I also think it speaks to the trust that people put in their dealers and advisors. And in this case, when the dealers are taking a 10% cut and they're bringing you a Modigliani, which is not that easy Mm -hmm. to find a good one on your own, and you just get so excited, you trust them, you purchase it without really checking as deeply as you should yes i mean i think we're ready to move on yes the fourth story of the day comes to us from art news where it was reported that quote archaeologists find 3,200 year old mural in peru shedding new light on pre-columbian culture researchers uncovered a 3,200 year old mural in the peruvian province of veru that could shed light on the pre-columbian culture the Peruvian newspaper La Republica reports that the mural marks the location of an ancient ceremonial temple.
0: The temple's mural shows a stylized zoomorphic being that could be a spider, which was a very sacred animal for Cupiznica culture. And the painting features a variety of colors, including yellow, gray, and white. The
1: site was likely used in a ceremony held between January and March involving rainwater. Preservation efforts for the mural, which was uncovered after local farmers had cleared the surrounding land, will be undertaken in the coming months.
0: And we thought this was very interesting to discuss because just last week we discussed how a bronze votive figure was found in Greece. But just in general, in the past few months, there have been so many archaeological discoveries that we've talked about, such as the ancient brewery, brewery in Egypt and the mummy with a gold tongue.
1: The mummy with a gold tongue was one of my favorite because I think the yeah. image is just like scarred in my mind yeah. now. Like
0: <laughs> It's ingrained in your mind forever.
1: Exactly. And this actually wasn't the only archaeological discovery this week. Art News also reported that all the way on the other side of the world in China, the headline was, quote, Chinese archaeological dig yields trove of 3,000-year-old artifacts, including rare gold
0: mask. Since the 1920s, an archaeological dig site in southwestern China has become a rich site of research and discoveries about ancient civilizations. But most recently, the site yielded a new trove of about 500 objects, many dating back through thousand years, which is interesting since it's technically the same time period as a Peruvian mural.
1: I love that you pointed out that it's the same time period because one of the craziest things, like I feel like we learned, mm-hmm. is that things that were happening in Asia at the same time they were happening in other parts of the world were so advanced. Sometimes, yes. especially in art, like they were dealing with realism Mm where other people were doing what looks more like
0: hieroglyphics. Exactly. It's so, so interesting, but it's just so interesting to see how different things were preserved so like a mural versus like bronze or Mm -hmm. um, silk and things like that that were being traded in China. Exactly. And among the
1: most significant new finds is a gold mask that weighs just over half a pound and is estimated to be made of 84% gold, according to a report by CNN. The mask was found in newly discovered sacrificial pit,
0: And also included in the discovery were artifacts in ivory, jade, and gold, as well as an unopened wooden box and several bronze vessels, including one resembling a sacred tree and another with an owl-shaped pattern.
1: And just like you hinted before, this discovery was also really important because silk was found which supports previous theories that silk was an important part of spiritual
0: rituals in the community. Yeah, that's super interesting. I love how many discoveries like have been happening recently. I feel like it's truly like unprecedented or I don't know, maybe they're being advertised more, like put in the news more Mm -hmm. because I feel like there weren't that many news about these things before.
1: And I also think there have been so many stories about cryptocurrency and NFTs. And mm-hmm. this really could not be on like a more opposite side of the spectrum, but both are so fascinating. I agree.
0: We're giving everyone a break from NFTs this week. And we decided to not do any headlines on that because I think we all just need a break. I think we're over it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Our fifth and final story of the day comes to us from Art Forum, where it was reported that, quote, Columbia Arts grad students sue for tuition reimbursement. So obviously, this story is very personal to us as it has very to, personal takes place at Columbia. <laughs> yes. But a group of students at Columbia School of the Arts, Visual and Sound Art, and Film have filed suit seeking reimbursement of tuition costs for the spring 2020 semester and in relation to the 2020 to 2021 school year, where the education provided fell short of that
0: promised. So the lawsuit was launched November 4th, 2020, by 60 of the 61 students in the Visual Arts and Sounds art master's program but I just think it's so funny that only one person decided not to be part of the lawsuit
1: I would really love to hear
0: from that person. one person
1: <laughs> why they were like, like no I don't
0: want my tuition back <laughs> um, but the filing comes from on the heels of months of back and forth between the students and the school's administration.
1: The cost of attending Columbia's Arts Master's program is roughly $70,000, but the attendance costs do not match the pandemic-diminished
0: experience the students are receiving. Yeah, so the students in March of 2020 offered what they saw as viable solutions to the pandemic, like the setbacks of the pandemic cost, and among the solutions, um, there was an additional fee and tuition-free semester for first and second year students, or an in person core curriculum, financial support, including need based scholarships of about $3,000 per month, or partial tuition refunds for online studio classes and uncompromised degree exhibitions. The school responded
1: the following month with a COVID 19 relief fundraise through donations and dispersed to students in amounts no larger than $1,000. A second round capped at the same amount followed in July and a Third, to finance second-year students' studio costs
0: capped at 2000 came in November. And several students said that they had either had trouble obtaining funding in a timely manner or had been denied relief with no reason given.
1: Carol Becker, who's the dean of the School of Arts, told the publication that roughly one quarter of the school's 835 students had received aid, totaling about $519,000 by November of last year. And that more would be distributed in January of 2021. The students have clarified that their issues are with administration and not with faculty, a number of whom have expressed support for their students.
0: I think that's like a very common thing at Columbia, though, just like from personal experience, mm-hmm. the administration tends to not be the best. And like there is this des- disconnect between faculty faculty and students, and the administration, just because I agree like all of our faculty was like super great, or like right. at least in my personal experience, I never had an issue with faculty members, but the administration was just like really subpar. I never had an issue
1: with any of my professors exactly. when I tried to do anything logistical, like with
0: my diploma, yes. with the online system, it was such a fight. Also, just a fun fact, my diploma was supposed to come to me like in... I don't know June maybe um, when you graduated. Yeah, it said like it arrived by August in the latest, but I sent it to Paige's house just like so that they could have both of our diplomas together. And for some reason, it was like September and my diploma wasn't coming. And so I called and they were like, "Oh yeah, um, that is so weird. It'll be there next week. No reason as to why it was delayed." Paige heard the phone call. It was the weirdest thing. They, hung they just up on forgot me. about you. They hung up on me. Um, it arrived <laughs> thankfully, but it literally arrived like five months later. <laughs> so crazy and I
1: actually have a very personal attachment to this story because in my final semester of college I thought it would be be really fun to take a studio course a lot of professors always like encourage art history students to do so but they're actually really hard classes Mm -hmm. to schedule because they're so long and in like one block of time and Mm -hmm. then they're also just hard to get into so I took printmaking and when the pandemic happened it got so weird because it's impossible to make works of art at home and then so much of an art class is like peer reviewing and seeing what other people are doing and like getting feedback on your own work and you like holding something up on zoom is not the same Paige was
0: sending me pictures of these collages she was making with magazines and putting them on like um like cardboard. <laughs> I'm feeling so some her, judgment. Her, I don't know. They were very cool. <laughs> her printmaking was stunning. <laughs> I miss those days. But
1: you couldn't even go to like an art supply store. So Obviously I thought, not. Right. So unless you
0: have like, I mean, Do you not have a printmaking studio in your home? No, I don't have a printing press, unfortunately. Well, that's just sad. But
1: for me, this was honestly like a joke extra class I needed a few more credits to graduate
0: on time I can't imagine if this had been my major no no this is also for a master's program like that's a very legit thing you cannot be like oh yeah sorry you can come you cannot come into the studio today like just paint and you're like like a master's student cannot
1: cut through a Vogue magazine and make their final project (laughs) face it to cardboard (laughs) yeah I'm so glad the
0: cardboard struck you (laughs) I don't know why it was just like really funny Um, I think it's because I was also delusional at home with like trying to curate an exhibit for paintings I'd never seen in person so <laughs> I was like on the floor with a glue stick <laughs> it was an all-time low for everyone it's okay not our best moments. um but I think we're ready for our emerging headline since we're done with the headlines for the week
1: yes This week, the news comes to us from Artnet, where it was reported that, quote, a Medici-themed Basquiat painting could sell for $50 million at Sotheby's to become one of the priciest works by the artist ever. This is like the most Anna headline I've ever seen.
0: I did pick this headline.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's everything she loves in one sentence. Uh Uh-huh. The 1982 work titled Versus Medici was painted by Basquiat when he was only 22 years old. It's estimated to fetch between $35 million and $50 million, automatically making it the most expensive work by the artist.
0: So like this is an emerging headline, but it also kind of like bounces off of like the other emerging headline we had about <laughs> Basquiat being the most expensive Western artist sold in Asia. But yes, we're just going with it. We love Basquiat here at Curated Shower. I don't know if Rich loves him as much as I do. It's fine,
1: uh, but the- I love him. But I don't think anyone can <laughs> compete with you. Yeah.
0: Okay. But if the painting achieves its high estimate, it could be the third most expensive work sold at auction to date, according to the ArtNet Price Database.
1: This painting is extra interesting because through it, Basquiat ambitiously wages war with the history of art and not only asserts his own place within this history, but also crowns himself a successor to these Renaissance masters. So he's really placing himself
0: within a much larger art historical timeline. Yeah, which is so interesting. But the title invokes the all powerful Medici family who reigned during the Renaissance and would have been familiar to the well studied artist who spent time in Modena, Italy, ahead of his exhibitions in 1981 and 1982 at the Galleria d'Arte Emilio
1: Mazzoli. So this will be so exciting to track, yes. especially because their also, advertising campaign has been really impressive. Really? I saw a video <laughs> yes. on Instagram uh-huh. and like the background music, which is really hyping it up.
0: Yeah, I loved the video. But also it's the first time that this specific word is, work is being sold at auction because um, it actually was sold from Basquiat directly to the first collector who bought it through Larry Gagosian or like Larry Gagosian arranged for that collector mm-hmm. to visit um, the artist in the studio. And then it only went through like one other person and now it's being sold at auction. So it's like very interesting provenance.
1: And a very so secure excited. provenance. Very
0: secure. There are no questions here. But yeah, exciting.
1: And hopefully we'll be able to update everyone soon.
0: Yes. Um, I think this is it for the week. If you haven't listened to some of our old episodes, you should do that. Especially our Monday Chatter Check-In
1: this week. We talk about our visit to the Brooklyn Museum mm-hmm. to see the Cause exhibition, which we raved about. Yes,
0: and we're so excited for this upcoming Monday Chatter Check-In and to tell you how our weeks went in different places. Um, if we survive our if, time apart. Yes, but yeah stay tuned and follow us at creative chatter for more updates
1: thank you bye